Welcome to Looking at Lucasfilm, the podcast with a different perspective on the world of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and all the other entities that George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, Dave Filoni, and the rest of the crew with Lucasfilm have dreamed up over the past 40 years. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the one, the only, Dan Z, and I are recording this on Sunday, December 13th. And Dan, I thought it would, it would be worth mentioning as we start out here that 51 weeks ago, almost a full year, um, last year on December 20th, Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker arrived in theaters. Um, oh. Again, it's supposed to be the dramatic close of the Skywalker saga with the button on 42 years of epic filmmaking. I don't want to get into the rehash of the rather mixed response that J.J. Abram films got. Um, but do you remember how uh, Disney Plus actually moved up the release date of Episode 7? I do. Season, you know, season one of the Mandalorian moved it for two days because they didn't want those two Star Wars uh, productions to go head-to-head on the same day. Yes, yeah, so we uh, had to wait a week between uh, the last two episodes. That we did. That we did. And it just, for me, it just seems weird how the end of the Star Wars saga, something, you know, you know, I, I me personally, looking forward to since 1977, got totally thrown into eclipse by the Mandalorian. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and in fact, since Dan and I last talked, two more episodes of season two have aired, The Tragedy and the Believer, and uh, Dan and I will talk more about uh, those two episodes in the second half of the day, Joe. Um, but the success of that limited series has obviously had a profound effect on the future course that Lucasfilm is charting for uh, not only the, it, the Star Wars franchise, but, you know, uh, Willow and, you know, other things that they're up to. And um, now you and I had talked on, on earlier episodes of Lucas at Lucasfilm, how, uh, how Lucasfilm based on the huge success of season one of the Mandalorian had supposedly seriously been rethinking what properties would end up where, but going into that, did you have any idea out ahead of the investors, a, you know, a, a presentation earlier this week that what was about to happen in regard to how much stuff. Star Wars stuff was going to end up on Disney Plus. I I didn't. I knew I was. It was in for uh, quite a day, just based mm-hmm. on all the the initial buzz on mm-hmm. Twitter. But little did I have any idea of the the absolute Star Wars avalanche. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. to coin one of your phrases, talk about drinking out of a fire hose. Oh yeah. And by the way, how how about I want to? I also want to shout out that mm-hmm. this is the penultimate episode uh, of my of my swan song. I've got this one and one more show left. What yeah. and what, what a gift that Lucasfilm gave us to break all this stuff down. <laughs> well, no pressure, but you know, the, the you know, the, again, they got to come up with something equally good for the you know our last show. But right. um, well, let's just jump into it. What, to your way of thinking, was the biggest piece of news that came out? You know, honestly, I, I was most hoping to hear that we were going to get an Ahsoka series. So I'm glad that we did. I, I was really shocked by the amount of mm-hmm. live action stuff that we were going to get. But the thing that stunned me the most was Rogue Squadron. Mm-hmm. And when I first saw that logo in the X-Wings, I, actually, I was actually disappointed. And I thought, oh, really? I mean, pilots, who cares? I, I, that's mm-hmm. just not something that's ever spoken to me. And then mm-hmm. I watched Patty Jenkins's video on Twitter about mm-hmm. why she's making this movie and her connection to fighter pilots and her father mm-hmm. and losing her father and, and why she wants to make this movie. Then she puts on that X-Wing pilot outfit and I tell you what, 
I was so fired up for that because if you have purpose and passion and mm-hmm. actual pathos that's, that's well above and beyond, I want to make a cool movie and make a mark. She's already mm-hmm. made a lot of those with Wonder Woman. No, that's it exactly. In fact, so I, now that? she's got this drive to do this mm-hmm. to honor her father. And mm-hmm. I was so impressed that I thought, okay, I am all in for this. So that was what blew me away more than anything. Well, and, and now just to sort of take the 30,000 uh, foot view here, folks, this is a big get for, for Lucasfilm and Disney to get Patty Jenkins. In fact, uh, I don't know if you've heard the buzz about uh, Wonder Woman 1984, but there's a you know, the first Wonder Woman movie was a wonderful superhero movie. In fact, for a lot of people, you know, especially given how dark, uh, you know, a lot of the Snyder, uh, you know, uh, Justice League and the like movies got the fact that, you know, Wonder Woman was just such, you know, it was a great action film, but at the same time, it was a great tonic. It was, there was lightness. There was fun to it. And heart, a lot of heart, a lot of heart. And so the fact that, you know, and, you know, if anything, the, um, Wonder Woman 1984, which drops on Christmas Day against Pixar's soul, uh, has better buzz than, you know, the first film. So, you know, the fact that Disney and um, Lucasfilm have persuaded Patty to come over and make a Star Wars film, this is huge. It's you know, uh, and, and as you mentioned, the connection to the, you know, her personal connection to the material. Um, so yeah, that, that's a great get. And, but also for me, what's fascinating is that's the first theatrical release Christmas of, of 2023. Yeah. Uh, okay, again, yeah. Yeah. And, and remember one of the reasons we're getting that, uh, for Christmas of 2023 is well, again, uh, you know, COVID coronavirus. Cause what is it? West side story, which was supposed to have come out this Christmas, got bumped to Christmas of t- 2021, which in turn meant Avatar 2 got bumped to Christmas of 2022. So this is this is the first new uh, theatrical release to follow uh, The Rise of Skywalker. And to have Patty Jenkins direct it, that's really kind of huge. Um, Major coup for Lucasfilm. And I, I feel like, you know, I'm not sure how much longer Kathleen Kennedy is going to be at Lucasfilm, but she has really cemented her legacy here, in my opinion. Well, now, it's so interesting you bring that up, because, again, there has been a lot of talk over, you know, the past year or so about, you know, Kathleen Kennedy and how much longer she'll be staying as the head of Lucasfilm. So, first of all, I found it fascinating that she was front and center uh, at this presentation, that, you know, they didn't bring it a Dave Filoni, they didn't bring bring it a John Favreau and the, you know, those two guys obviously should be celebrated for what they've done with the Mandalorian. It was Kathleen front and center. And more to the point here, she is talking about the future of the company. And, and let's be clear here. I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff they announced, but it was also very significant. Did, did you catch a thing about the making three volumes now that uh, what they're, they're building one in London one in Australia, and then they're taking the one they used in LA for the production of The Mandalorian and making it even bigger. Oh, I um, did not hear about any of this. That's exciting. Yeah. So, you know, the fact that this technology that made The Mandalorian gave it that amazing cinematic look, you know. And in fact, I I don't know. Did you get a copy of the, uh, the Art of Star Wars, The Mandalorian, the Phil Sustak book? You know, um, I did not. It's actually something I have on my Christmas list. 
Okay, well, definitely talk to Santa because there's this great line in here from the foreword of Doug Chang that, um, you know, he talked about in my nearly 15 years of designing for the Star Wars universe, the Mandalorian's development process was the most demanding because of our aggressive production schedule. We had a third of the time and half the budget of the typical Star Wars film, and yet we were tasked with designing more than 300 minutes of content, enough for two feature films. Um, and you know, that they only managed to pull that off because of the volume. So the fact that, you know, now we're going to have three and, and also for me, um, you mentioned the Ahsoka Tano limited series. Uh, I guess we should also talk about, uh, Rangers of the Republic. Um, yeah, they, both Rangers of the Republic and Ahsoka are all in the, what Tracy Kenobi is, is labeled the Filoni verse. Mm-hmm. And, and but but did you catch the um the, the particularly the, the the part where uh both the rangers of the new republic and the ahsoka tana show uh, will be set in the timeline of the mandalorian i did uh, and the interesting part is that uh at some point in the future and in fact i, I, I made a few calls and interesting part is this will probably be season four of the Mandalorian, not season three, because they, they need to launch uh, Rangers of the New Republic, and they also need to launch the Ahsoka Tana series. But there is going to be a this huge crossover story that supposedly will start on uh, the Ahsoka Tana show, continue into the New Republic, and end on the Mandalorian, but it will be one of these things. The only way you can experience this amazing star Wars event is if you subscribe to Disney plus. So it's like, it's like they're taking a page out of uh, Marvel's playbook. Well, but see now that again, it's interesting that you bring that up. Cause remember, um, by the way, did you actually watch the investors day? Presentation? I watched all four hours and so did my seven year old son. And oh. by the end of this thing, like he, when they announced that, that Mark Ruffalo was going to be in, he jumped off of the chair at the dinner table and landed on the ground and said, I can't take any more of this. It's too great. <laughs> it was wonderful. It was, was so Mason? fun to experience that with him. Yep. Okay. Now, I, I, I have to ask, how did Mason handle it when they would do the thing? I mean, face it, they only blacked out, I want to say, 10 of the 40 video clips that they showed us. But how did he handle it when they – they they do the big promo and then suddenly it's just music and the the countdown. Hey, it became a joke. We he oh. would just oh, and we would like laugh and and high five and giggle and run around the house and just wait until okay. the timer went off. We had we had fun. And at first, I couldn't figure out what they were doing, but then I remembered. Oh wait, I'm not an investor. My blood, sweat, and tears are not enough to be able to see this. That, that, that's it exactly. <laughs> you're you're not going to move the needle. You know, they, they get the stock <laughs> price to go up. You know, but. and boy, did they ever. Oh yeah, yeah, but but yeah, that 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 that's the thing for, and I I, I guess so. We're talking 2022, but that's the year where there'll be this amazing crossover event uh, between the three shows, and uh, and I guess Filoni and Favreau were just you know that the scripts are written for season three, uh, and uh, the Mandalorian production will get underway sometime after the the, the first of the year, but. Immediately behind that is the the Ahsoka Tana and the um, the Rangers of the New Republic show, which again that's that's all built around they and that's the interesting part. Did you notice they 
he did not come straight out and say that that show uh, is built around Cara Dune. Yeah, I, I, I thought, I mean, I, in my mind, it just seems so clear at the end of, of, you know, the episode, the siege that they was mm-hmm. what they were trying to set up and they didn't specifically say that. And you can't because of um, certain images, uh, mm-hmm. political images and things like that. So I don't know. Okay. So, so anyway, so just keep that in mind, folks, that that's 2022, but uh, 2021, we will get, uh, you know, a, a season three, uh, and we'll talk about what, what possibly might happen in season three and second half of the show. So anyway, g- going on, uh, what did you make of the Taika TV announcement? I loved it. And I wish that we actually would have gotten something mm-hmm. I was pretty happy with Taika Waititi's response on Twitter. Cause he, he quoted the tweet with the announcement from the star Wars Twitter account and said, wait, what? And that was all he said. <laughs> but it was great. But I was hoping for at least a title or some sort of idea of what it was about or, the, or where in the timeline it's taking place. But we got absolutely nothing, which tells me that's even further out than Patty Jenkins' story. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. In, in fact, you know, basically, uh, they've had conversations about Vitaiko right now is, you know, face down in the ditch getting ready to do Thor, Love and Thunder in, in right. Sydney. So uh, we'll hear more toward the end of, of next year. But uh, beyond that, uh, all right, so what about the Lando series? I mean, you being as big a fan uh, as, of Solo, a Star Wars uh, in a story, was that kind of a surprise? It was. It was really a stunner. It, it would have been nice to hear something about Donald Glover or someone, but this is almost like, while well, everybody seems to want a solo sequel, well, you've all should have went to the theater to see the first one, by the way. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was a, that was a, a genuine surprise. I was happy that we're going to get more in that particular part of the story. And I'm assuming it'll be, you know, somewhere after the events of this solo film. But I, I was pretty excited. What about you? Well, you know, the, again, made a few discreet calls. And it turns out, um, you know, you know, the, the interesting thing is uh, this could be a Donald Glover, Billy D. Williams team up project, as in um, it, the, the way it was explained to me is that, you know, uh, Billy D. may be in each episode, but kind of in a I remember when and he would narrate the episode. Oh, I would love that. So, or at least that's, you know, the, the idea that's being batted around. Um, let's see, beyond that, uh, oh, what did you think of the, the film footage that we got to see uh, from the set of Andor? That was pretty stunning, because I wasn't expecting much about that. I'm, I'm still so much into The Mandalorian that I'm not really focused on anything else Star Wars related. Mm-hmm. But it was great to see how incredibly far along they are. The the mm-hmm. genuine uh, enthusiasm and, and glee that... Uh, Diego Luna has about this character and about being able to be a part of this universe. Mm-hmm. It looks very intense and very gritty. Remind me of the first 10 minutes of Rogue One. Mm-hmm. So I, I was very, very encouraged by this. What about you? Well, I, I you know, it, again, what was interesting to me is remember, you know, they've, you know, with the Mandalorian, there's been all of this talk about, again, the volume, you know, that this, this, you know, technology that's used to, you know, create the outdoors and, uh, you know, uh, you know, make it possible to basically be anywhere, and you know, and 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 get that cinematic feel. For me, what was interesting about Andor was to see 
you know, all the whole city blocks that had been built. Um, you know, that, that, that lots of practical sets. So for me, it's going to be interesting to, okay, so how, you know, this looks like this actually has a different style, a different technique than we, than what we've got with the Mandalorian, which don't get me wrong is it, it could be a really great thing. Um, but you know, for me also, this one is shooting in London and supposedly once they wrap production, who comes in right behind them? But the Obi Wan Kenobi, uh, you know, uh, limited series, and well, again, we we have to talk about that because of uh, the Hayden Christensen announcement. And now, had you heard anything about that? That was a huge stunner to me, and mm-hmm. it's I, I people have said to me, "Well, is that really great news?" Because if he's Darth Vader, he can't take off his helmet or he'll die. So, does it matter that Hayden Christensen is inside the suit? And I would, my answer is unequivocally yes, because. Mm-hmm. Hearing Darth Vader back, thrilling. Hearing this mm-hmm. Hayden Christensen as Darth Vader, that raises the emotional quotient exponentially because you've got that investment. Because so many people, I mean, I'll give you a perfect example. My mm-hmm. students said to me, Mr. Zare, did you hear that Hayden Christensen was coming back to Star Wars? And then he laughed after he said it because he knew who he was talking to. Mm-hmm. And then I said, yes, I did. And he said, he goes, you got to understand that for me, he is my Luke Skywalker because I didn't see the original trilogy. I saw the prequel trilogy when I was a kid. And so many people, even my my son, who's a, a freshman in college, he said to me, my Twitter and Instagram is blowing up because a lot of kids my age are thrilled about this. So it's it's a stroke of genius. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and, and that coupled with the fact that, you know, here we are, we've got Deborah Chow who directed, you know, a couple of the the, the very best, uh, yeah. you know, Mandalorians at the, the first season of the show. And so, um, face it, this one has been a long time coming. You know, you and I have been tracking this project since, you know, the Obi-Wan film, uh, yeah. you know, and so now to have this limited series and now to have Hayden back. Uh, but, but yeah, supposedly as soon as Andor wraps, they strike the sets and the Obi-Wan team comes right in behind them. Uh, and I, again, just going to be fascinated to see what happens with this one. Uh, let's see. What else do we have? Uh, the okay. Yes. Now, this one, you know, face it, with its ties to the High Republic, um, you know, this one really is kind of the mystery project because, you know, face it, so much of, if the plan, if everything, everything had gone according to plan, we'd be knee-deep in High Republic books and, and such right now. But, of course, you know, COVID-19 knocked that like so many other, uh, you know, entertainment-related plans that, all these giant corporations have had off schedule. Uh, but on the other hand, the fact that we've got uh, Leslie Headland, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the creator of the Russian doll behind this, um, I, you know, and, and again, they, 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 they walked out that this is a mystery thriller, uh, you know, set in the final days of the high Republic. And it just sort of like, I don't even know the first days of the high Republic yet. So it's the notion that it's, it's the final days. <sighs> So, I was pretty surprised that that is they're actually going to take the High Republic and put it onto a screen, and it's not just going to be in the form of literature mm-hmm. already. So that's that's very much kind of bold. It's also a nice indicator of where they hope to potentially take some aspect of Star Wars. And since the embargo is lifted, I can say I've read all of the High Republic books, and mm-hmm. uh, it's going to be a fun aspect of the universe for people to explore. That's for sure. Ooh. Okay, very cool. Very cool. 
Um, all right. Now, I guess we, we should pivot now to, you know, this is all of the live action stuff. So uh, let's talk about what's going on with Star Wars in regard to animation. Of course, you know, uh, it, it's no big surprise, the Bad Batch that, that already got announced. Uh, but, but what did you think of the trailer? Well, I was going to say, were you surprised at how far along they were? I, I don't know what I, ex- I don't know what I expected as far as where they're at with this thing, but I thought it looked gorgeous. I thought the animation looked stellar. Mm-hmm. It very much looked like it was Clone Wars 2.0. And I am very much here for it. Very much. Even the logo mm-hmm. had Clone Wars and then it burns off and shows the bad batch, but there's <laughs> a lot of potential that I heard Steven Stanton's voice mm-hmm. as grandma of Tarkin, which is exciting. They use the McDermott track from Avengers of the Sith for the Palpatine, but I, I feel like there's more story to be told between bridging the gap between that movie and, or yeah, between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. So I'm very excited. I, I'm much more optimistic. I thought it'd just be kind of a fun mm-hmm. filler. I mean, I liked Star Wars Resistance, but to me, it had no than near the emotional wallop that Clone Wars or Rebels did. But this felt more like it was going to be along the lines of of Rebels and Clone Wars to me. No, 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 very much so. And and uh, you remember, it's important looking back on Star Wars Resistance. There was. There was a deliberate choice made there. Remember how when they were initially talking about that show that they were really aiming that one at 10-year-olds and there there was, uh-huh. you know, and and face it, that I don't think the show ever was able to sort of rise out of that. I still think there was some great storytelling. Oh, I did too. But great yeah, cast. you know, um, well, let's say, okay, so do we have the Bad Batch? But what do you make of Star Wars Visions? I honestly... I'm sort of ambivalent to that. I'm not an anime person. So mm-hmm. it, it really, I think it's cool. And I'm sure there's a certain audience that's interested in that kind of a thing. But and it, honestly, the only reason I'll watch is because of coffee with Kenobi. Otherwise I, I probably wouldn't even pay it any mind. What about you? Well, I, you know, that I don't know if you, you followed um, that series of, of the, the shorts that they've done where they, would visit, you know, the story of each individual character, whether it was Leia or Luke or Forces of Destiny. Yeah, yeah, I love and, that. That, but that's not anime. Anime is such a different animal. Well, I, you know, face it, you know they they took the characters that we know and and did them in a different style. And and to be honest, that's the one of the things I've I've been told out ahead of Visions is that. Again, it's it's still the characters of the world that you love, but done in a slightly different style. Because again, um, going forward here, this is all about sort of bumping out the borders of of what we traditionally consider Star Wars. Uh, and, and in fact, that this brings us to the next project, the a droid story, uh, which is uh, you know going to be a full on animated film for Disney Plus, uh, built around. R2-D2, 3C-3PO, and a, a yet-to-be-introduced droid character. It's um, actually a movie, not a TV show? No, this is going to be a, a movie. Oh, uh, that, I don't think I realized that. Yeah, uh, the, the way it was explained to me is that, um, you know, that, that it's going to be, a, a, you know, an adventure where, you know, uh, I'm told 70 to 75 minutes, um, but with the idea that this is a possible format going forward. Now, mind you, that they've made a very big deal about the fact that this is sort of, you know, a Venn diagram production. It's going to be Lucasfilm Animation teaming up with the effects side of Interstellar Light and Magic. So it's, it, you know, it, it's, and, and remember, we are in an age where, you know, those lines blur. 
you know, when you see a film, you know, that, that you think of as a live action film, but if you factor in all of the animation that's be done for, you know, virtual characters and that sort of thing, it's, it's really like 90% animation and, you know, 10% live action. Um, this is going to have a photorealistic quality, or at least that's what I've been told up front. Does that mean um, like Disney's uh, Christmas Carol with Jim Carrey? Is that kind of what we're talking about? Uh, you know, that film hasn't particularly aged well, has it? I, I don't yeah, know. I love that movie. I think it's outstanding. It's almost uh, word for word from Charles Dickens's novel. So I want it. I will think of it. And you're right. Uh, but on the other hand, when we get to the third act and when it's suddenly the, you know, the, the, the spirit of Christmas future, mm-hmm. uh, only he's chasing him through the streets and yeah, Scrooge's, that, I guess, yeah, I don't like that. Part. You know, I mean, that's the thing that for me, that just signaled that Robert Zemeckis, you know, and it would done such a wonderful job up until that point, didn't trust the material and had to jazz it up. And mm-hmm. I agree. You know, it, it's that more over that part, by the way. Ah, okay. Um, but yeah, that, 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 you know, for me, what's so enjoyable is how much of it is faithful prior to that point. But you're right. It's just that chunk makes me crazy. Uh, but no, that this, I, I don't think this would be performance capture or for that matter, you know, I mean, going close in on, on Jim Carrey as Scrooge's face and seeing, you know, the hair on the bridge of his nose. It's just like, <laughs> You know, <laughs> I don't think no. I, I, as much as we all love R two D two and C three PO, I don't think we. Wow, look at that. it will be nice to spend some time with R two and three PO because I, even though they were in the sequel trilogy, albeit you know not very much, except mm-hmm. for maybe a little bit three PO in the last one, it'll be nice to spend more time with them because I've missed them. I mean, they, they can yeah. help at all. Oh, they're, they're great. Car- you know, the, what was interesting for me back in the day was how, uh, you know, when people were talking initially, and we're talking 77, and they would sort of deconstructing the film, they would point to R2-D2 and C-3PO and and make the comparison to Laurel and Hardy, you know, just sort of mm-hmm. like, you know, the one's round and fat and one's tall and skinny and the, you know, the comic relief. And it was just sort of like, Okay, I you know I, I think you're trying a little hard here to to sell that idea, but uh, but yeah, it will be nice to see those characters again. And speaking of characters, that it will be nice to see again uh, as part of uh, the, the Disney Investors Day. We also did get an update on eighty five. Um, we now know what production will finally get underway in late spring of two thousand twenty one, and. They are committed to that July 2022 release date. Okay. And, and, and you know, and, and keep hammering on the point, uh, you know, that's Harrison Ford is the only one who can play Indiana Jones. And they did use language to the effect of final adventure. I caught that too. Yeah. That made me sad because I, come on, don't close the door all the way because there's still things we can do. But the amount of time it takes for them to make one of these things. Yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. just glad to get some news about it. I mean, this is what the fourth time we found out that it's going to have a release date and it's coming out, but let's hope that this actually happens because I just, I want to see it one more time, as you know, and no, no, this is my, he's my favorite. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, and uh, you know, it just, I guess for me, what concerns me again is Indies going into theaters now, uh, behind jungle cruise. And don't get me wrong. That was always a plan that, 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 
the Emily Blunt, Dwayne Johnson movie, uh, you know, was going to come out the summer beforehand, but it's just sort of like, and I, I don't know if you've heard any of the stories about that, but Disney really does believe uh, that this will be their next Pirates, that this will launch a, a series of films and, you yeah. know, build interest in that theme park attraction. And I just, I feel bad, I, you know, th- for the fact that uh, Harrison will be 70, what? 75, 76? Uh, probably, yeah. Yeah. So um, I just, I, I want this to be a great, especially if it is going to be the last Indiana Jones film. I, I, you know, I want this to be great. And it's poor James Mangold already uh, coming in behind Steven Spielberg, who stepped away from the project. You right. know, it, it, no pressure, you know, <laughs> you know, final installment, you know, it, it, you know, get, get, got to be the best of them all. And, oh, wow. Well. <laughs> So. That, well, that, that isn't going to happen because none's going to be better than Raiders. But just to see him yeah. on the screen with the hat on and the, the swag, mm-hmm. you know, let's, let's, let's make that happen. Okay. And all right. And, and now, uh, again, on previously on the show, we've talked about the Willow Limited series. Um, you know, we, we do now have a, you know, an actual release window for the Limited series. It will be 2022. Uh, you know, that and 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 in fact, as I understand it, the um, once they shoot the on location work in New Zealand, the crew will default to Australia and use the new volume to work on this production, so that that's evidently uh, you know, it's being constructed for that. Um, but uh, beyond that, they 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 were relatively close to the vest about that, you know, in fact, yeah. That was another one of the ones where they cut away to the music and the countdown clock, didn't they? Yeah. Um, and had, had, had you heard um, that with the volume that you have to make sure that the last person leave plugs it into the USB port on the wall so that it works the next day like an iPhone? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, we're, I'm, glad, I'm, I'm glad I'm not in charge of the volume because I, I, you know, I, I can't tell you the number of mornings I get up and Nancy looks at her phone and it's like, you didn't plug it in again. It's like, sorry, <laughs> I forgot. All right, I, and finally, um, you know, they, they, we talked a little bit about this project previously. Children of Blood and Bone. Um, this is um, this is going to be a theatrical release. I, I, I got this confirmed, you know, on Friday, calling to the folks at Lucas, um, and, and again, going to be made through Twentieth uh, Century Studios. And but it's again based on the children's bestseller, uh, the best-selling novel uh, about a, a young African girl's heart-racing quest to restore magic to her forsaken people, the match. Um, but you know that the, the the downside of it is is that they go, yes, this is being prepped for theatrical, and yes, we're talking casting, and no, we have no idea when it will actually make it out to theaters. Um, so I guess we're going to have to keep an eye on that one, Dan. Um, and speaking of blood and bone, uh, didn't get to see any blood, but got to see a lot of bones being broken in the tragedy episode six of season two of the Mandalorian. And, uh, in a moment, Dan and I will talk about the return of Boba Fett. Okay, we're back. Um, all right, so so Dan, let's say that the Mandalorian uh, has been very sparing 
about how they sort of walked out Boba Fett. I mean, literally the first time we got to see this character, we only got to see what his boots and it was the fans who noticed what the spurs on the boots that walked up to Fennec Shad's body. That's right. Um, and who were like, Oh my God, it's Boba Fett. And it's like, really, you, you know him from the spurs. And I guess that's the thing. If you, if you, you know, was this, something prominent on the character previously because i don't think i'd ever noticed that it's i don't think it is i mean they they added the sound effect because of the sort of the clint eastwood thing but i feel like that was more wishful thinking than anything because uh, mm-hmm. it made sense being at that it was tattooing because i didn't notice that but i thought well maybe it could be him or mm-hmm. who knows maybe it's some sort of a, a hunter of some kind but yeah uh boy well i don't want to say too much but go ahead but but uh, then okay, so we have our first episode of season two. Uh, we have the marshal, and in the final moments, you know, we see you know a, a character from behind that's watching Mando on on his you know speeder bike, you know, riding away from uh, the mining colony, and he's got Boba Fett's armor on it, and the camera, you know, the, he turns to the camera, and you know, the, and the internet loses its mind because. It's uh, Mr. Morrison, you know, right. uh, Father you know, who, Moana. yeah, and who played Django uh, back in Attack of the Clones, and so again and again, it was it was fascinating again to watch people, um, you know, just sort of you know, as we were waiting for that episode, we would kindly conf- you know finally confirm who it was. Uh, people trying to suss it out and determine, you know, what's the backstory on this guy and. So, uh, and again, you know, that, that face it, um, you know, we've known about, you know, Django for as far back as Attack of the Clones. Uh, and, I, you know, we, we got to meet Django's son, uh, Boba, in uh, Empire back in 81, right? 80. 80, okay. And, you know, and then uh, we saw, <laughs> you know, I, I, it's always been one of those given how heavily the fan community got invested in, in Boba, how he was taken off the canvas in Return of the Jedi in 83 still kind of stings, doesn't it? Or Well, I mean, when I was a wee young Padawan, I, mm-hmm. I, I liked Boba Fett because I liked the action figure. I thought he was cool in Empire, and he frustrated me because of his role in Han Solo going into Carbonite. But then I didn't, I never really liked him Return of the Jedi. And I always thought it was poetic that this big, bad bounty hunter gets his comeuppance by a, mm-hmm. by a semi um, temporarily blinded Han Solo. Mm-hmm. So that never bugged me because I never really understood the hype besides how cool he looked. Mm-hmm. I didn't love him in Attack of the Clones. I didn't like him in Clone Wars. So I've never been a Boba Fett fan. But in this episode, Jim. I was about I, to ask you about this. In the tragedy. Mm-hmm. Did I, in your wildest dreams, did you ever think of a redemptive Boba Fett arc? Never. Not only yeah. did I not expect him to be redeemed, I didn't think I would like him, but I loved him. He, he catapulted, literally catapulted to a place of prominence in my fandom. Mm-hmm. And I see the character. I mean, obviously, in my studio, I guess you've never really seen my studio, but it, I've got stuff all over the place. I've got a lot of Fett stuff, a lot of old action figures of Fett. Mm-hmm. And now I look, he's kind of in a place of prominence because. Now I understand a little bit more about what makes him tick. Maybe it was being in the in being digested with the Sarlacc mm-hmm. that changed his point of view or his perspective. But now I, I see a sense of honor. Mm-hmm. I, I see a code. He's not just a a thug with mm-hmm. cool armor. 
And the fact that he's not only is he Mandalorian, but the way he followed that Gaffney stick was oh, absolutely insane God. and electric. Probably the most violent, visceral stuff we've seen in Star Wars. And boy, well, was it was spectacular. And, and and let's note here again, this right this was Robert Rodriguez's debut mm-hmm. directing an episode of The Mandalorian. And I dearly hope that man gets invited back because the, the action scenes in this thing were crazy. Insane. Um, and the pacing, the 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 fact that it was such a short episode and so much happened. And I love when, when Slave One first shows up, your mm-hmm. jaw drops because you're not expecting to see that. And yeah. the fact we don't know for about 10 minutes whose side he's on or how he's going to play it mm-hmm. was pretty spectacular. It was terrific storytelling. And at the same time, I, I love the left-handed uh, humor of the thing. Like when he blows out of the sky that the, the, yeah. the, the troop carrier, which then falls on the second one and takes that out. And Mando's like, good shooting. Like, oh, I was trying for the other one, you know, and it's just sort of like, I, you know, I mean, I, I love that just sort of dry left-handed, uh, you know, or, or more to the point that, that, that wonderful moment at the end where, you know, we, we made, you know, we made a deal. We were going to, you know, you know, we were going to work together until the child was returned to you safely. And we're now in your debt. And, you know, I mean, who would have seen that coming? Not me. That's yeah. But I, but, you know, and I think you and I emailed about this or maybe texted, mm-hmm. but, Remember when we were talking about the Haslab Razor Crest, and I jokingly said, "Well, I hope this thing doesn't get blown up." Oh. Man, you and I are on fire with this stuff. This yeah, great dragon. Yeah, uh, but but at the same time, I love uh, you know I love Mando sift, sifting to the ashes and finding the little knob that the the Grogu had played with, and more to the point, the spear that he'd been you know gifted. Uh, you know, the, uh, you know the the, the the seals by Ahsoka and, and the fact that, you know, that's carried forward. That's um, right. By the way. All right. I, one other thing we really need to talk about in this episode. And again, I, I, I'm, I need you to put on your, your, your English teacher hat here. Okay. Uh, Cause you and I are both, you know, you know, story constructionists and, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in the Chekhov school of, you know, if you show a gun in act one, you have to fire it in act two. Um, and this episode made a very big deal of Grogu being placed on that stone and, you know, sending out a message into the world. And so it says that somebody has to respond to this message. They made such a big deal about him being on that stone and, you know, and how exhausting it was at the end. And that's what allowed the dark troopers to grab him and all that. Or, or more to the point, the reason that Bando couldn't escape because this kid was encased in, uh, you know, a Jedi message system. Um, but yeah, that you know, somebody significant has to respond to that, don't they? Well, you'd think, but let me think about who all the Jedi that are out there. We've obviously Luke and mm-hmm. is out there. Leia is out there. Ahsoka mm-hmm. is out there. Mm-hmm. Ezra is out there somewhere. Uh, Cal Kestis from Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order is out there. The, the Jedi that uh, converts from being one of the um, one of the Inquisitors is out there. But other than that, I can't really think of too many other Jedi that might be available to answer that call. So mm-hmm. yeah, you think it would be somebody significant. Um, I just hope it isn't the Frog Lady that shows up. 
I should have said that out loud because now it's going to happen. Yeah. Well, the, 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 well, that actually brings us to uh, our next episode. Uh, you know, the um, the believer, uh, mm-hmm. which really is kind of a, a sequel of sorts to last season's episode, The Prisoner. Yeah, kind of. Uh, you know, in fact, uh, what is it? Uh, direct, that one was directed by uh, Rick Famuyi and yep. uh, based on a, a story by Chris Yost, and then. Uh, Christopher Yost and, and Rick worked together in the teleplay, whereas this time uh, Rick wrote and directed uh, The Believer. And I would have put money down on Mix Mayfield never being a redeemable character. Same here. Uh, like and, Tyler Yeah, yeah. And um, I, I have to admit, that's what both surprised me and delighted me about the episode. You know, the notion that you could make this sort of turn with that character. I think you can make an argument that, that there are three characters that are believers in that episode, but I think he's the ultimate believer because he finally starts to believe in himself. I mean, he practically telegraphs uh, mm-hmm. midway through the episode that, you know, you got to do whatever you got to do to get to sleep at night. You can mm-hmm. tell that there's like a tormented person. He's not just a jerk. Cause I thought in the prisoner in season one, he was a jerk. And not a particularly interesting character, but he suddenly became one mm-hmm. because of his conversation with Valen Hess, that, that Imperial officer mm-hmm. in that mess hall. And boy, that I mean, there was a lot of great tension and in, in probably the most important character moment uh, with what Din Djarin did with his helmet, too. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there, there was so much genuinely surprising stuff in in that episode. Um, and And yet callbacks to... Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. In attack to uh, you know, uh, attack to the clones. Didn't uh, Jango Fett actually use the same sort of weapon, a seismic charge? Yes. In the- oh boy, what a what a great. Yeah, he did. That was one of the most popular sound effects in the history of Star Wars, and to have it come back. Yeah. Very much a home run at the end of this episode. I also thought there was some callbacks to Raiders of the Lost Ark with the the fights on that on that transport. It kind of reminded me of the truck sequence in Raiders. Very much so. I mean, but you know, um, but at the, again, at, at the same time, um, okay, again, asking you to put on your, uh, you know, your your story constructors and the teacher, you know, hat again. Mm-hmm. Okay, was it weird to you that Mando sent that message at the end of the episode to Moff Gideon? By doing that, he loses the element of surprise. He, he lets him know we're coming for you. Yeah, that was like um, the Rambo moment in First Blood. Yeah, I was. I was thought, well, this makes him more vulnerable than taking off his helmet in Imperial Mess Hall. Mm-hmm. But maybe that's just kind of the approach he wants. Maybe he wants them to be so focused on that that he'll send somebody to sneak in. But it very much was a bravado moment that we haven't really seen. He's, he's never thumped his chest at all. But now he's like, it's become primal. You know, like sort of like a a primal father figure type. So it's kind of an interesting choice. We'll, we'll see how it plays out, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I, for me, I was wondering misdirection. I mean, you know, the, yeah. the effect of, you know, look for me because somebody else is coming the other way. Um, I could have done without it. I don't think it needed it, but it was, but it was kind of set up a lookout. Here we comes moment. Okay. And so, and again, I know, again, and I don't, I don't want to put you in this corner, but okay. given, you know, we have seen so many wonderful characters this season, either introduced, you know, the, the Marshall from the first episode or, 
or Perry coming back or that sort of thing. Who do you think is going to be on this rescue team? And, you know, I, know. I, I mean, I hope obviously the Soka shows up. You said Perry, I was hoping it would be Perry the platypus, but that probably won't happen. <laughs> so I, I don't I don't know. I, I would be great to see everybody because mm-hmm. I feel like this entire episode, this entire season was kind of the brave and the bold Mando style where he's always got a new guest host that sometimes overshadows him with whatever they do in the episode. I mean, even the frog lady to a degree. So I, I, I expect like, I feel like anybody is on the table. I don't know that we'll see any new surprises, but you never know. You never know. I, I, I am hoping this will be an extra long finale because of I'm hoping, hoping as well. I mean, that said, I, I have to say we we're seven episodes in at this point. And, you know, I, I honestly, I, I don't, I don't think there was a dud in the bunch so far. You know, uh, I, I wasn't crazy about the second episode with the with the frog lady, the passenger. Well, I, you know, but at the same time, I, you know, I, I, if if you take the jump forward, the vehicle had to be damaged, so it needed to be repaired, so the beacon be. I mean, I I, I, I get it from moving the chess pieces around the board, kind of way, uh, and uh, and and also the fact that you know we're looking at a creature that initially got designed for Empire. You know, by by Ralph McQuarrie. It's just that I mean, remember that you know uh, John Favreau and Dave Filoni have been very upfront about the fact that you know we're we're using the less popular Star Wars toys in the toy chest, uh, you know, to build yeah. this show, show out of. So you know, I I, I get that. It's true. Um, it's more of an acknowledgement that how how strong this entire season has been. I mean, the this the scenes in this series is just insanely spectacular i mean it's 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 spearheaded so much of what disney plus has been able to do and oh, yeah. I, if any of the marvel stuff is even half as good as the mandalorian then we're in for a real treat <laughs> well they you know in fact it's so funny you say that because like of course you know I, I i had to you know aaron and i were recording a new, a new marvelous uh next week and so same thing i was working that side of the street and they were talking about the pressure that the success of the Mandalorian has had on the Marvel limited series, oh yeah, you know, shows to the effect of, oh, we got to make as big a splash as the Mandalorian, and it's just sort of like, you know, why did that have to be a hit straight out of the gate? You know, that's like, you know, that that makes our lives that much more difficult. But yeah, uh, no, they are definitely looking over their shoulder there, and but more to the point, um, folks, this is Lucasfilm not kidding around. You know, they, they saw what could happen with The Mandalorian, that you could have as big a pop culture success uh, that you could have with a hit movie with a limited series on Disney+. And they just pivoted, you know. Uh, and and that's the thing about, you know, if you enjoyed what you're seeing with The Mandalorian, the Ahsoka series, the, you know, the, the Rangers of the Republic, uh, you know, Andor, you know, that and... That's the other thing I think we all need to be ready for is going forward. Um, they want to do a new Star Wars series. <laughs> you know that that the the final version will be quarterly. You know that you know that some summer, winter, summer, spring, fall, uh, you'll have a brand new show. But it's going to take a while to build up to that level of volume. Um, but yeah, they aren't kidding around, and you know they, they're going. If quality's there, then that would be great. Yeah, well, I, you know, both the the visuals as well as the writing and the mm-hmm. casting, and that's the other thing that's 
that's fascinating because you have, you know, the Rosario Darsons and, you know, the world who have signed on to do Ahsoka and that sort of thing. There's a lot of people who've kind of raised their hands oh, yeah. uh, and have said, I want in. Um, and, you know, again, not at liberty to talk a lot about this, but, uh, you know, episode or season three of, of Mandalorian could see some very interesting people turn up. Um, and maybe it'll be me. Who knows? Maybe this is my big chance. Well, there we go. And, and uh, speaking of which, you know, uh, that's, you know, uh, this Friday we get uh, episode eight, the final episode for season two of The Mandalorian. And so, again, big question is, you know, who's going to be part of this rescue team? And it, at least for me, it's like who answers that call? You know, yeah. that, the, you know, uh, going to be fascinated to see who turns up. Uh, you know, toward the end of this episode. And that's the other thing that I've been told that, you know, what happens at the end of this episode sets up the entire arc for season three. So, um, but anyway, now sad part is last episode, you know, for a while, you know, and they'll start shooting in, in January, February there. But, but if you're looking to kill time during the same period, folks, might I recommend there is this wonderful book called the Star Wars book, expand your knowledge of a galaxy far, far away. Uh, I also want to point out that I checked at Amazon today. And if one were to say order a, a copy of this book written by it's, the name escapes me at the moment. Um, but, but supposedly if you order it at the, the top of this week, they can actually guarantee delivery for Christmas. And again, if you got a Star Wars fan on your list, uh, it's hard to it would hard to be to think of a, a a better you know book, especially somebody who's just trying to get the the feel of the universe. Um, and you didn't, uh, you know that that if people are killing time now till we record a new episode, uh, what's going on with Coffee with Kenobi these days? Oh, th yeah. Well, thanks for the, the plug. The Star Wars book is still selling well. It would make an excellent Christmas gift for that Star Wars fan in your life. Or if you haven't picked it up yet, I think it will fill in a lot of gaps in your understanding of this universe. So be sure to check it out. But in Coffee with Kenobi, we've certainly been breaking down each episode of The Mandalorian. We've had a number of extra shows. We did a big show on the Disney Investor meeting, which is a lot of fun. And then on our CWK Porvo, which is our show for the Patreon members, We've been having a lot of fun. We looked at the, the episode of The Jedi very closely, but we've also been talking about top five Christmas songs and Christmas movies and trying to put a little bit of joy into the end of 2020 because I think that would be a nice thing for everybody. Speaking of which, just a, a quick side note here. I, a pet peeve of mine. Do you know the song, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas? I do. Okay. As the story goes, that song was introduced in Meet Me in St. Louis, MGM musical of the mid-1940s. and Judy Garland. There we go. Oh, and, and, but the thing is, the last, you know, uh, you know the, the, there's a line in the song, you know, someday soon we all will be together if the fates allow. Mm. Until then, we'll have to muddle through somehow. Uh, and the interesting thing is evidently Frank Sinatra records the song in the mid 1950s, and he actually goes to uh, I want to say Burton Lane, uh, the the gentleman who wrote it, and said, "This is the most depressing line in a Christmas song I've ever heard, and you have to change it." So they changed it to from 
until then, we'll have to muddle through somehow to hang a shiny star upon the highest bough. Oh, yeah. Uh, and me personally, I'm a muddler, Dan, you know, <laughs> and, you know, that's the thing. I, I, I will sit and listen with somebody. will come on the radio to begin singing. You know, have yourself a merry little Christmas. And I, I get tense and I'm hanging in there waiting for muddle. And, you know, more times or uh, than not, it's always hang a shiny star. Uh, but James Taylor models, you know, that, that, that in his version, uh, and especially in 2020 this year. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're all muddling folks. You know, I, I think somebody needs to talk to ASCAP in regard to needs to let, you know, there needs to be put something in front of the version of, of have yourself a merry little Christmas. I'm sorry. This is a, Hang a shiny star, not a muddler. If you need to muddle, go find another copy of the song. So, or, or go talk to Drew Taylor for a little bit. That, that there means. we go. Again, the, the, again another great muddler. Um, so <laughs> that's what it should be his epitaph. I only have one more episode to, to taunt him, so I'm going to take every advantage. All right, get just dig in there where you can. So, speaking of which, as Dan just mentioned, we've got one last episode coming up of looking at Livingston with the two of us working together on the show, but. Or Dan hits the road for, for strange and wonderful new places. Um, on the other hand, if you're looking to something to listen to before we get to that last show, uh, let's see, we've got Disney Ish with Len Testo. We've got uh, the aforementioned show I do with Drew Taylor, uh, Fine Tuning. Uh, we talked a little bit about Aaron Adams just a, a few minutes ago, who I do the Marvelous Disney podcast with. Uh, likewise, Dustin Fuse, who I do Universal Joint, and he and I are get a new episode of that out the door this week uh and god help us we're gonna we're working on it the i want that um and in fact you know, again dan right michelle actually bought a copy of your book to be able to talk about during the show and if, if we don't do that next year she's gonna kill me so <laughs> uh, but well, anyway you've been a busy guy yeah, it's 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 been an interesting time. All right, so uh, tell you what, folks, if you could do a Dan and I a favor, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and recommend uh, not only Coffee with Kenobi but also the podcast you're listening to right now, looking at Lips Film, that would be very helpful. Um, if you really enjoy what you heard here tonight, if you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be great too. Um, and I, you know, again, Dan, you know, just, I, I, I so enjoy, uh, following you on social media. Oh, I meant to ask, did, how did the contest for the limited edition, uh, Mandalorian Columbian jacket, uh, finish out? Uh, we, we had over 400 entries so far. And actually at the town's recording that people have one more day. Oh, okay. So I, I'm looking forward to crowning the winner. All right. Well, I, let, let me know how that goes. But if people want to keep tabs on you social media-wise, where should they go to? Sure. You can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Zer, M-R-Z-E-H-R, and Coffee with Kenobi is all over social media and on Twitter. And then I just opened up my Instagram account to make it public, and that is Dan Zare, CWK. Oh, very cool. Okay. Well, Nancy wants me to remind you folks that you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Jim Hill Media and over at Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. And again, we got one more of these coming, folks. So, you know, be sure to tune back in. Uh, but till then, thanks for listening and be sure and watch The Mandalorian this Friday. So we all have something to talk about on that last looking at Lucasfilm.